Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. My esteemed co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, is with us. And today we have the opportunity to talk about emotional intelligence at the United Nations and really across the world. Our guest today is Ramu Damodaran, and he is the chief of the United Nations Academic Impact Initiative. What is that? Well, it aligns institutions of higher learning and research with the objectives of the United Nations and the states and peoples who constitute it. So he's also the current secretary of the United Nations Committee on Information. His earlier posts have been with the organization that have included departments of peacekeeping and special political questions, as well as the executive office of the secretary general. Uh, he also has been a member of the Indian, from India, Indian Foreign Service, where he was promoted to the rank of ambassador, where he served as the executive assistant to the prime minister of India, as well as in the diplomatic missions in Moscow and to the United Nations, and a range of national government ministries. He has been actively involved in mass media in India, including print, radio, television, and was a recipient of the Asia-Pacific Broadcasting Union Award for the Best Radio Documentary. So we've got a real expert here on numerous levels, you know, around the world, around leadership, and then also in radio. And let me just say a word about Kathy, then we'll bring her on, and then we'll got a series of questions that we want to ask uh, Ramu. So you, if you've been listening to our show for the last 13 years, you know um, we have downloads probably about 4 million uh, over our time frame. And uh, Kathy and I have been doing this you know, from the beginning. And Kathy has been named the First Lady of Happiness by ABC TV, has authored multiple popular books, the New York Times bestseller, What Happy Working Mothers Know, uh, also, one of her latest books is on uh, uh, Fearless Leaders, Sharpen Your Focus. It highlights her work with special forces, sports athletes, and she has a free iPhone app called Your Happiness Now, if you want to see her lovely face. So, Kathy, welcome. Thank you, Relly. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here today, and I'm really excited that we have, uh, we have Ramu with us. Uh, we met Ramu... Uh, not too long ago at the very first inaugural program on emotional intelligence at the UN. And I'm sure Rama will be talking about that and how that came to be. But before we bring him on, I really would like our audience to know who you are, my esteemed co-host for gosh, what, 13 years now. And uh, we are so very grateful and blessed to be in 26 countries and 127 cities, and we bring these shows to you absolutely free from our hearts to yours. Dr. Riley Nadler is a master-level certified executive coach. He's a psychologist, a corporate leadership and team trainer, and my dear friend. And, of course, Riley brings his legendary expertise in the subject of emotional intelligence to all of his keynotes, consulting, coaching, and development programs. His newest top-ranked book, 
Leading with Emotional Intelligence provides hundreds of tools and, of course, strategies you can pick up very easily to be your best to create star performers across industries. And, of course, you, too, can be a star performer. All you need to do is visit Rally at one very simple place, and that is EI Central. And at EI Central, you can pick up all of his tips and tools, you can also visit him at truenorthleadership.com. Free downloads abound. And he also has a free iApp called Leadership Keys. You can pick that up at the iTunes store. And, Relly, would you do me a favor and just make sure that we have the exact number that our audience can send a text to for the EI Central downloads? Okay. And you can... Uh text that to, I'm looking it up myself, EI Central, and then the um, number is 38470, 38470, and then EI Central, and then that'll bring you to the website, drrellymeadow.com. Like Kathy said, there's a ton of free, free stuff for you. Yeah, so and you know, it's so important for uh, all of our audience uh, to know that Rally and I do this absolutely free. We do it for you. We bring you the best thinkers and thought leaders and action-oriented executives from around the world. And today we are so blessed to have with us uh, Ramu Damodardan. And I, I just cannot, um, cannot be more excited to get into the show. <laughs> so, Relly, is there anything else you want to um, explain yeah, here we should... before we get into our discussion? Yeah, I think... No, uh, I think we were interested in, Ramu, just around our idea of emotional intelligence, and then we're zeroing in on our new book, Emotional Brilliance. What happens in the moment for you to have a brilliant solution, decision, judgment? And, Ramu, we want to kind of start with you asking you a, you know, a few questions about um, who's been most influential for you. We know, this, we know the idea of narrative and people's personal stories are incredible. And who's been some of the most influential people in, in your in your career and your leadership? Thank you so much, Eddie. I think the person who's been most influential to me in my career and my vocation is someone who I never had the good fortune to to know or to even meet. And hmm. that's really because of one precept that I, like so many of my countrymen, or indeed so many of my globemen or globe women, to put a phrase, learned. That was Mahatma Gandhi, who we recognize as the father of the Indian nation. But why I think he was relevant to my calling, if you will, was that he had a very straightforward and simple talisman, which any public executive or leader, or for that matter, someone who is a leader in her or his own chosen field should exercise each time they make a decision, which is simply think of the poorest, most despairing, most wretched person you have ever seen in your life. Bring that person to mind and ask, will what I am doing make a difference mm. to her or to him? And once you use that talisman, whether it was working for the government of India, which I was very fortunate to do, or now at the United Nations, I think it, it really sums it all up because 
at one level you feel that your decisions may be too remote, too distant, possibly mm. too general to make that difference. But the more you think about it in the isolation of that moment, and that's a very powerful word that you use just now, being in the moment, think of it in that moment mm -hmm. and see whether that long-term decision will not, at some proximate moment in time, make that difference. Such that is beautiful. Moment, yes. And Ramu, that just um, resonates with who you are. When, when Rally and I were, uh, I, I want to say, uh, truly gifted uh, to spend the day with you and other colleagues on the subject of emotional intelligence, people Thank you. Uh, like, um, you know, of course, Dan Goldman, uh, the founders of the Search Inside Yourself program at Google, um, Joel uh, from, um, you know, the, the uh, whole Six Seconds program and, and his lovely wife. It, it was such a, a wonderful occasion, and what you just described was really the spirit uh, of why we all come together in the world to make a difference using emotional intelligence. So thank you for that. How, how did you start your career in the diplomatic foreign service? It was a combination of a couple of factors, personal as much as academic. My, my father was in the Indian diplomatic service, so I grew up as a foreign service child. And, and unlike mm -hmm. many foreign service children, I was quite enthralled by the profession and determined to try and make it my home. And when I mm -hmm. did my master's degree in history at the University of Delhi, I found that with a little bit of extra reading beyond what I was doing for the master's degree, I could do the national examination for the Indian Foreign Service, as did several of my classmates. So, in a sense, getting in was made that much the easier. And uh, once I joined, I realized that I'd made the right decision. So, um, Ramo, I think, like I said, we were so privileged to, to spend some, some time with you and to kind of see how you, how you got there. Um, I want to just kind of go back to the first thing that you were saying, because we talk about presence, and we'll get into some of the things around emotional intelligence, but just what you said was very, very moving, that idea of thinking of the uh, despairing individuals as a um, thought starter when you're making decisions. To me, that is very, very impressive, and and um, are you, are you pretty good at doing that regularly? Because I think that's got to be a hard thing, given how many you know research has it that we make around thirty thousand decisions in a day. Some of them are, are split seconds. You know, do I want to eat this or I want to eat that? You know, there's. But for you to have that presence of mind, how do you how do you go about that? How do you bring that into your present awareness? Because I think that's amazing. Thank you. That's, that's really very well put. I mean, I think the idea of a thought starter, and <clears throat> like any starter, you begin a process without necessarily being assured about where it will lead to or how it will conclude. Right. What I, what I find most instructive about this uh, methodology, if you will, is that it's, it's far from facile or easy. And to go back to your split-second decisions, if you're walking down to the subway and you find some, a homeless person on the street, you have a split second in which to decide whether to mm -hmm. toss the right. person a dollar bill or to walk on. But even if right. you toss that dollar bill, does it really salvage 
that despair or that want or that need. And this is really where I think we come into the much larger question of being able to realize that much of what you're doing or your task to do, you choose to do, may be far beyond the moment. It may be something a little remote in time, but then you realize that it will make a difference, if not immediately, sometime <coughs> down the horizon, or more important, it might make a difference in another part of the world where you find a similar individual who has not yet had that degree of misfortune. Uh, the most compelling instance I can give to you is something which all of us are increasingly becoming familiar with, climate change. Now, certainly, mm. if I see a homeless person on the streets of New York, or for that matter, New Delhi, I don't immediately associate action on climate change as helping her or him. But then I think of a similar person sitting in the town of Chennai in South India, where we've had the most grim water shortage in our history over the last three weeks. And then I realize that I'm just taking the same image and a face, but transposing the location, but that makes it no less relevant or compelling. If you think about all of these compelling ideas, um, they're emotionally intelligent, aren't they, right? They resonate with right. a, a part of us, our spirit. Uh, we were uh, so touched by the work uh, that uh, Fernando Rodriguez, um, your second-in-command, maybe you can talk a little bit about him and, and how he brought Joshua Friedman uh, and uh, his wife and uh, some of these wonderful leaders uh, to speak more about these compelling experiences uh, at the U.N. I really can't say <clears throat> words warm enough about Fernando because I think despite actually the, the conference that uh, we were privileged to have you at, at the U.N. came just a week shy of my 25th anniversary in the organization. I, I joined the organization at the end of May 1994. And in those 25 years, I had never looked at the problems or the situations with which we are faced through the prism that Fernando taught me to. We always look at situations de determining, if you wish, a physical response. You need to send humanitarian workers to an emergency. You need to send peacekeepers into conflict. You need to get diplomats into the negotiating room to come to a settlement on a dispute. But we don't realize that there is, um, as, uh, as a famous writer once put it, the space within the heart, which is really critical to all of this. And then to recognize that emotions are not something that we need to shy away from. Emotions are something that we can cherish and recognize and mold. And that emotions are not completely sequestered within ourselves, but are extendable and shareable was a revelation which the talks that day by the distinguished people that you've mentioned, including our conversations with, with both of you, really taught me. But um, at the heart of it was really Fernando's very simple proposition. Why is the United Nations not doing more to get to that space within the heart rather than only doing what it does so triumphantly and so magnificently, but which falls just a shade of being enough? 
Well, that is such a compelling discussion for us to continue, Ramu, and our audience, I'm sure, is loving you as much as we are. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better what do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately how do you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. And uh, today, we're talking with our esteemed guest, 
uh, Ramu Demaduran, and from the United Nations, and he is the chief of the Academic Impact Initiative. So we couldn't ask for someone with a better, broad range approach and view of what's going on in the world, and then kind of zeroing in on what Kathy and I are focusing on more around emotional intelligence and zeroing in on how do you become emotionally brilliant in that moment. And I love that thought starter that you had, Ramu. Uh, let me ask you this question. You know, why do you think emotional intelligence is critical to being an ambassador as well as a leader, you know, uh, in the situations that you're in? I would imagine it's important really for two reasons. One is that you need to have a clear sense of what the person you are dealing with or negotiating or occasionally in an adversarial position with needs to achieve to have the minimum result from their side. So in other words, Mm -hmm. if you go into a discussion or a relationship or a negotiation purely in a minimalist sense saying that this is what I need, this is what my country Mm -hmm. needs, and this is what we're going to insist upon, then you're really likely to read an impasse because the other person might be saying exactly the same thing. Now, with a degree of what we now term as emotional intelligence, it's really a question of what much, much longer ago we used to call putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. It's not only a question of saving face, but it's also a question of trying to see from the other person's point of view to see why they should feel that you're conceding some of the points that Mm -hmm. they make might not benefit both of you and not just them. So that really also brings the second dimension of it, which is what we now call the cross-cultural dimension. I've been very fortunate to live and work and grow up in India, which is a cross-cultural universe unto itself in my, in my class at school or at, at college and certainly in the government. I worked closely with people whose languages I did not understand, whose, whose, whose in original languages, who lived in parts of the country I had never been to, who ate food, which I was not accustomed to, but yet we were all unified by being Indian and working in a common cause. Much later, i fortunate to find the same spirit here at the United Nations, where again, we are a medley of cultures and cuisines and customs, and yet we all get together through the commonality of the purpose that we've been called upon to serve. And if you bring that into the emotional intelligence um, uh, quotient, if you will, you immediately realize that your core identity is that of being an emotionally stable human being and an emotionally receptive human being and, I think, above all, an emotionally caring human being. Once you bring those dimensions into any equation, whether it is sitting across a table, whether it is sitting at a dinner, uh, dinner party, or whether it is just talking to a stranger on the subway, you will find that you become much, much more receptive to concerns which you did not realize that you possessed, but you only thought the other person was trying to impose upon you. Ramu, what you've just touched on is, <clears throat> it's so heartfelt, it's, <clears throat> pardon me, so compelling, it's getting me choked up, to be honest with you. The, the, the small experiences that I've had, I was a speaker on the uh, Queen Mary to Maiden Voyage, Ooh. and I was very, very uh, blessed 
to go to Jakarta and to the backwaters of India. And what I remember the most uh, about the beauty uh, of these people was their willingness to share, their willingness to be open, their willingness to, to want to be in relationship to all of those uh, people who were um, with us on this journey. Isn't it fascinating that we have world leaders that are trying to help promote uh, whatever it is they're promoting in, in the sense that they, too, want a good outcome for all. Uh, I believe Prime Minister May is using emotional intelligence in, in her cabinet as well. What, what do you think leaders can do to help promote the application of EI in their parts of the world? The single thought that occurs to me, and of course I'm, I'm really a novice in this field, the single thought that does occur to me is that EI must be used to communicate people what they need but may not be aware they need. And that's really where leadership and statesmanship, uh, statesman, mm. well, statesmanship really, come in. And by that I mean that it's, it's, it's all too easy for leaders to give people what they immediately want or what is seen as immediate gratification. It takes far more of that degree of emotional intelligence to be able to persuade people that they must be self-aware, that they must exercise a degree of self-control, all of which is related to the world as we know it in the 21st century. Because, again, to go back to, to Mahatma Gandhi, Another compelling saying of his is that this world has absolutely enough for everyone's need. What it does not have is enough for everyone's greed. And when you bring that metaphor into the popular political landscape, you will find people who are elected because they promise to pander to the greed. And once they're elected, they're compelled to service that greed rather than identify the true needs and share that with the people whom they represent and people who, frankly, by and large, would be willing to accept that because they've never had occasion to think of it before. So that is, I think, where emotional intelligence in leadership, particularly political leadership, lies. You know, Ramu, um, this is so helpful, you know, hearing about your perspective and then also hearing about uh, some of the Gandhi influences. And you highlighted what I pulled out for kind of key emotional intelligence competencies. You know, when we talked to you about being an ambassador, you, you, you didn't say the word, but I think you were referring to empathy, truly understanding, you know, the other person and what are they going to get out of that. And then the communication aspect is influence, another key emotional intelligence skill. And, and ideally, you know, these are, these are competencies, but then there's some skill building that goes with it. And then you just mentioned two other EI competencies, uh, emotional or, or self-awareness, you know, knowing about yourself, and then self-control. Um, those are critical. Those four, you know, um, are some of the key ones that influence some of the other uh, competencies. So kind of thinking about that, you know, what's been your biggest challenge as a leader, you know, in this world uh, theater and um, 
being a peacekeeper, um, you know, in your role with academic affairs. And is, there, is, is peacekeeping and kind of dealing with conflict, is that a big part of your role? Does that come up a fair amount? Like on a daily, you have to kind of deal with other people's desires and, and needs? It's fascinating that uh, you should ask that, really, because my my actual career directly in UN peacekeeping was, was where I began 25 years ago, but then I moved on to other parts of the UN. But what uh-huh. is fascinating in my current job, which is, as you mentioned, looking after our relationship with this network of universities around the world, is that most universities do research projects in things that are finite and practical and tangible, like public health or agriculture, areas like that where they can make a difference which is often immediately seen. Peacekeeping and diplomacy are also addressed by a number of universities, but really at the conceptual level. And instead of saying conceptual, one could well say at the emotionally intelligent level, because the process of research into peacekeeping or the idea of dialogues and diplomacy really centers around the individuals who are, concerned, who are leading the negotiations, and also how far they're able to represent, or in some cases hold back, the people who are actually the part of the conflict. So to give you an instance there, you have to bring in a whole host of allied factors in peacekeeping. You have to deal with things mm-hmm. like land and natural resources. You have to deal with things like tribal laws, religious laws, customs. You have to deal with sheer language problems between communities. So all of this comes down to a very fundamental human level. And if you do possess, and, and and I say this again, as I said, as a novice and someone new to the subject, but if you do possess the emotional intelligence to be able to see that this very, very, very small world of ours is broad enough to comprehend all those differences and divergences and yet create a common cause if people recognize that common cause is in their common interest. That is a job which peacekeeping and diplomacy can do and has done successfully. Well said. Well said. When, when you are, are focusing <clears throat> on individuals to help with this work, whether it be uh, academic professionals uh, or individuals, what kind, what kind of emotions do you look for in an individual to play that role at the UN? First and above all, the capacity to listen. We're looking for mm. people who are willing to come into a room and let everything that is needed to be said by the other side or by the two sides if you're a a mediator, let them say what they wish, just listen without reacting, without giving an indication of approval or of disdain, and absorb it all and then map out the landscape that you will use, your professional abilities, your emotionally intelligent abilities, and the power of your office, which is the United Nations, to bring to the question. But never substitute one for the other. Do not come there with only authority and without emotional intelligence. And for that matter, do not come there feeling 
that you have the emotional qualities necessary to negotiate, but that these can be exercised without the benefit of hearing what people say, however unreasonable it might seem to you. So that, I think, is the main qualification. Well, that listening, the way that you said, you said that, Ramu, you know, really listening without reacting, that in and of it is, those are two different skills, listening for sure, reacting, and we're not reacting, uh, and then, you know, integrating, so listening, not reacting, integrating, and then you also talked about kind of the overall vision. I mean, those are almost kind of checkpoints that someone could have on as they're listening you know, am I doing all these? Because that integration of what's going on and then thinking again of kind of this, where do I go with my thoughts, this kind of thought starter, the power of the UN and the power of, of the vision. Um, those, are, those are really helpful. And when Kathy and I deal with leaders, we may say in a little different way, but most leaders are advocating their position right. versus, versus really listening to the other person. And... Um, is there any, uh, like, do you, in your, with the academic uh, affairs that you're doing, do you train people? Do you train people to listen, especially if they're listening with someone with a different accent? Like, how do, they, how, do you, how do people go about that? Is there any kind of training for that? We don't do any training ourselves. We are really a, a catalyst for institutions to, to undertake programs uh, themselves or in partnership with other institutions. But... You know, this is certainly an idea which we would love to share with institutions for them to consider as a possibility. I think what will happen in many cases, uh, really, is that it might start as something extracurricular, you know, just as people have debating societies which are not part of an actual um, STEM degree course or something. So you might have people taught the virtues of listening and that very powerful word you use of integrating what you're listening to into your own response. And then mm -hmm. at some point or the other, it could become a mainstream course because I think the one thing that we are going to need in the years ahead is a really sound cadre of negotiators at every level, whether it be in private enterprise, whether it be in national government, and certainly mm -hmm. in international relations. Yeah, you know, I disappoint. agree with you more. Mm -hmm. Just a, a point, Kath, I want to make. We saw you, Ramu, do that, and it was so impressive because you were basically kind of helping facilitating for the panel, and I think you listened to each one. You kind of heard what they're doing. You integrated it. You gave a really nice summary of kind of connecting, and, and I remember I was impressed and saying, whoa, you, you really kind of pulled that together. Uh, you know, almost like with a thread, and I think a good facilitator does that, tying people's points and key things together with a thread and pulling it all together in a nice summary. So, thank you so much. It's very generous of you, really. Thank you. What's fascinating is what you're describing, Ramu, is something that uh, myself and a colleague of mine, uh, former uh, assistant chief of police, Neil, um, Vaughn and I are doing through the Southern Florida Public Safety Academy. We are actually teaching both a week-long program on leadership to executives across 96 police agencies. And just this month, we are doing a two-day intense on uh, emotional intelligence to help uh, officers uh, 
to understand exactly what you've just described. And that includes receiving an emotional intelligence feedback because, you know, it's very hard for an individual to learn how to listen if they don't even get introduced to themselves as a listener before they practice that very behavior. So just a warming uh, feeling for myself hearing you talk about it on a global mm. basis, but we have to start with ourselves, right? Yes, absolutely. So, Ramel, we've got a, on that point, we have a couple questions if you're good with, just kind of more about kind of what the emotional uh, world and kind of where you're at. So one is, if you think about uh, on a daily basis, what would be the top emotions that you experience on a day? Yeah, to say, okay, here's the top three things that that, are emotions that I experience on a daily basis. I think the foremost emotion that I certainly experience on on an everyday basis is just the emotion of wonder. Because whenever I wake up and I see all that has happened in the world over the past 24 hours, and I'm talking about very positive things. I'm not talking only about the, the sad and depressing and negative things with which right. we're also assailed. But just all that we've seen as being within our grasp and all that is possible. So that's, that's the first emotion. I think the second one, I would really say, is the emotion of, of trust. Because if you think of it, how many people, you, 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 um, you, know, you mentioned something about the number of decisions we have to make in a day, which is a very compelling figure, 31,000 or so, I, I gather. But similarly, if you think of the instances where we trust someone else, when you get into a cab, you're really placing uh-huh. your life in the hands of that driver. Yeah. When you walk into a supermarket and pick up a carton of eggs, you're putting yourself at the at the level of trust of the of the grocery store owner plus the people who have packaged the eggs to make sure that these are not old or outdated or contaminated. So everything we do is a measure of trust when we don't realize it. And then where we do realize that we have to extend trust, we become a little hesitant and, 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 and cagey. And that, to my mind, mm. is really a paradox. And mm-hmm. I think the third uh, emotion that I that I do experience every day is something which is probably becoming a little out of fashion, which is simple affection. The fact that, Hmm. you know, you can relate when you walk down again, if you're walking down the street and see a mother coming with her eight-month-old child in a pram, you instinctively lean down and smile at the baby. But we don't Mm -hmm. instinctively lean forward and smile at someone of our age or marginally younger, or marginally older, when we pass on the street, because we consider that we might be intrusive if we were to do that. But every time I've seen someone just catch my eye, give a smile, and walk on, it's brightened my day, and I hope that I can do that the same thing to other people. That's so you know, uh, these, these, you know, I, I just wanted to say Kathy, I'm just, that you just... Go ahead. I just wanted to say the one thing that Ramu was saying about wonder, uh, an interview with Diane Sawyer, uh, uh, American television journalist from ABC Mm -hmm. World News, said the one thing that she wakes up to every day, she and I were on the dais a couple of times, and she said the one thing is being curious. Uh, curiosity, that, that wonder. That's very uh, well put to Very you. important and powerful emotion. 
And and I want to say, Kathy, we should ask this question to all our guests, these top three, because it is very, very telling, and it kind of goes to Ramu, I think, who who you are, and it goes back to kind of the power of our attention and the power of our focus and the power of our awareness. You know, if you wake up every day with wonder, trust, and it sounds like trusting others, uh, and then affection, um, how that improves not only your day, because a lot of what we talk about is emotions are contagious, but how that's improving everybody you come in contact with. If you're trusting and just even like you're doing on our show, you're exhibiting and expressing affection, um, you know, that's making a, a, a difference in each of the people that you come in contact with. And it's a beautiful example of emotional intelligence in, in, in the moment and in the making. Thank you. I've been very fortunate that way. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to come right back to uh, talk to Ramu a little bit about what emotions are most challenging for you. All right, well, Mosa will give you a minute to think about that. We're going to go to a break, and we'll be right back for this compelling discussion. Don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better what do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately how do you delegate effectively how do you develop strong relationships across the organization emotional intelligence training coaching books and tools by dr nadler are available at his website www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066 Let Kathy Greenberg teach you and your team how to harness the power of happiness to generate even greater success and satisfaction at work. Did you know by applying coaching and the new science of happiness, you can improve your return on people anywhere from 50% to 350%. At H2C, we believe in both a return on people, that's ROP, as much as return on investment, or ROI. Kathy Greenberg, New York Times bestselling author of What Happy Working Mothers Know and internationally acclaimed What Happy Companies Know, is the leading global expert on coaching combined with the new science of happiness and originator of the Happiness Equals Profits business formula. Kathy's company, H2C, Happy Companies, Healthy People, provides practical knowledge for individuals and entire companies to maximize their potential in as little as one day. 
Kathy is available for one-to-one executive coaching, group programs, and as an electrifying conference speaker. Catch Kathy Greenberg at leading conferences and as a spokesperson for Cancer Treatment Centers of America. For free tips and downloads, visit Kathy's award-winning book site, WhatHappyWorkingMothersKnow.com. Or for distinctive learning, practical solutions, and proven results for your business, visit Kathy Greenberg at H2CLeadership.com. That's H2CLeadership.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Rambo Damodoran. And he is the chief of the United Nations Academic Impact uh, Initiative. We're having a delightful conversation with him. And uh, we're also basically, you know, picking his brain and what works for him and, that, and just who he is from the last segment, how he influences others. And so what emotions, uh, if you had to reflect around, are most challenging for you? Uh, thank you for that, Freddie. I think earlier in our in our. Um, very spirited conversation. I was fortunate to mention some very positive emotional reactions which I've been fortunate to have. And I would like to dwell on something which is possibly less positive and in its own way extremely challenging. One of my responsibilities Mm -hmm. at the United Nations is for something called public engagement, that is uh, engaging the public with the United Nations and all that it stands for. And I've sometimes thought that it was a slight misprint because what I sometimes feel is a sense not of engagement, but of enragement. I get mm. enraged by so much that is happening in our world today, which it is entirely within human capacity, not only to address, but to forestall. But then that essentially becomes, in many ways, a negative reaction, a reaction mm-hmm. of frustration and possibly a reaction which may be seen to be emotionally unintelligent. And what Mm -hmm. I try to do then in that case is to translate or perhaps elevate the sense of personal enragement into a collective resolve to action. Talk about it, write about it, show the absurdity or the injustice of it, and then get people in a more detached sense to come up with emotionally intelligent reactions and resolutions of it so that it does not Mm. occur again. And you can use this at any level of crisis that you find in our world today, whether it's actual conflict or war, whether it is what we call a natural disaster like desertification, drought, famine, disease. All of these are capable of addressal through human means 
and we have those means mm-hmm. at our disposal. So really, in a sense, I think what, what uh, your, your very powerful question led me to think was that it's possible for us to be creative without suppressing our natural indignation or anger mm-hmm. or sadness, because those are emotions that we must recognize and accept, but that does not mean right. that those are emotions which we must allow to destroy us. Mm. So powerful. So beautifully said. Thank you. And, and one of the things that we have that could be forthcoming in our book, and you said it uh, really well, Ramu, and especially I, I love that kind of enragement, but one of it is, you know, you have to name it, and you kind of named that, and it's, it's all emotions are, are just data, so there's no necessarily, you know, bad, but you have to name it. But then the other key one you said was accept it. And that is in our, you know, we have a formula we're coming up with of name, name, notice a name, accept, manage, and then express. So you already talked right. about naming it and then accepting it and then around managing it. So it sounds like you're taking some of that energy and putting it into action. You know, so that's one way to manage it. How else do you, do you manage your emotions? The most effective way that I have found to, to manage my emotions is to always try and second-guess the impact that they will have on whomever I'm expressing them to, including myself. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if I have an emotion which is very joyous and lighthearted and I communicate to the person I'm with, it could either work for the good or it might make the other person think that I'm, I'm frivolous and not giving the problem the attention it deserves. So I really have to second, that, second guess that with some acuity. And similarly, mm-hmm. if I express an emotion purely within the space of my own being, I might sometimes find myself inadvertently either exaggerating or minimizing a situation with which I'm dealing. So mm. to put it very simply, I think emotions are instinctive, but nurturing them and harboring them is not. For that, you need that space of reflection and time. Mm -hmm. So powerful. So powerful. How many of us actually take the time to think about how our words will impact another human being and how often Do we take the time to reflect on the words that we might choose or have choosed versus just choosing them? And I just want to repeat what what you said, Ramu, because it's really good. Uh, You said emotions are instinctive, but nurturing and harboring them is not instinctive. And that's really a beautiful way of putting it what the heart of where Kathy and I and, you know, our colleagues are focusing on is exactly what you're saying is the nurturing and the harboring of what is not instinctive. How do we get more people, you know, uh, through our contact, through folks that you know, to have the ability to utilize that information that's going to help them and help others the most? Almost like exactly like you said, it's the impact of that. So, 
You're pretty emotionally intelligent, even though, you, like you said, you're a novice <laughs> to the field. No, no. You've adopted it pretty well. Or you're, I think it's kind of who you are. You just have that. No, uh, yeah, thank you, you so much. But I've really been fortunate to be able to read up yes. some of it ever since Fernando threw open the doors and, and you uh, cast them even wider. <laughs> well, we're, we're delighted and we're so blessed to have had you uh, is is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with today, Ramu? No, it's just that I'm very grateful that um, a subject which was once considered so personal and intimate is now coming not only into the public discourse, being adopted by offices and agencies which one would have thought of as very remote several years ago, but more importantly is being seen as something which an organization like the United Nations, which at one level is extremely practical, results-oriented, and has been created with a very finite purpose, an organization like that is able to appreciate, to explore, and to adapt to its own purposes and principles. And we as an organization are going to be 75 years old next year in 2020, I think when we began in 1945, we would have in some ways had a premonition of this because one of the most compelling phrases in the Charter of the United Nations is about the dignity and the worth of the human person. And if you think about that and reflect upon that, that dignity and that worth derives entirely from the emotions every human being mm-hmm. has and the emotions that other people have with which that human person is either reinforced or challenged. So beautiful. Ramu Damodaran is chief of the United Nations Academic Impact Initiative, and we are so very excited to have you with us today and to have you share what a beautiful disposition on emotional intelligence. Rally, do you want to bring us to a close? Yes. So, Ramo, I just want to make sure I got the charter of the UN down. You said the dignity and worth of the, of the human, human person. person. Was that the last part? Okay. No, that's uh, the okay. dignity and worth of the human person. Yeah, that's that's in the preamble to the charter. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think you demonstrate that in just in just your being and the, little, the moments we spent together. And thank you so much for for sharing this. Um, and we would love to be able to stay in contact with you. I would look forward so, to that very much. Thank you for this opportunity, yes. Kathy and Relly. Thank you. Yes, you're, you're welcome. And celebrate your 80th. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers, and thank you, Ramu. So stay tuned and listen in so you can continue to tune up your leadership. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.